So the kids read to you this morning, and it was a, it's a blessing for me to see the young people come. We've got such pretty girls all coming up here and, and reading, and, and it's good to see those young people and the children singing and everything. Um, uh, it's a real blessing. So they all, they all read from the book of Luke. I don't know if you caught that or not, but what I, what I asked them to do was read the story of Christ from the book of Luke, starting at uh, where he's prophesied to come and into his coming. And we got two stories of the birth of Christ in God's word. We have the one in the book of Luke, the two ones with the most detail. One's in the book of Luke, one's in the book of Matthew. So this morning we're going to be flipping back and forth. I was put my paper clip on here so I can flip back and forth. You guys are just going to have to stick your finger in there and put a card in there or something. But we're going to flip back and forth between Matthew and Luke this morning, and we're going to see something, I hope, that will help you to get a better grasp on what it is that the Messiah has come and done and it's just, I call this two stories of Christ's birth. In Luke, the story of Christ is very positive. There's no, if you read, so they do have differences, these two stories. They're both true. One of them has an exact date where we can kind of figure out because it talks about in the reign of this particular king at a certain time, and then that's when this all starts happening. So you can actually figure the year, and we know pretty close to what it is. It was about A.D. or B.C. 0 that's where we figure our time from today we know about when it was and it was within 4 bc to about 3 a.d is when christ christ was a real person jesus christ he was a real person he really came to earth he was really a man he was really god he was really born of a virgin he was really born in a manger he was really probably not born in december 25 most likely in the spring or possibly during the Feast of Tabernacles, God with us, one of the two. But either way, he was born at a time of year where sheep were grazing in pastures and they were having their lambs. So he was likely born in either the spring or the fall. They lamb twice a year. And so, but we celebrate on Christmas because we do. Um, but, but he's a real person. He was God in the flesh, born of a virgin. And so in Luke... We have the picture, it's all sunshine, it's all good. There's no negatives in Luke. doesn't talk about King Herod as far as him persecuting them. All that's in Matthew. There's no death of other children so that Christ can live, that's in Matthew. But in Luke, it's all positive. We're going to look at Matthew this morning. Um, in Matthew, you see the persecution that surrounds Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. And I'm thinking Dave next week may be teaching on the fact that, uh, I'm not positive, but I think, uh, I was kind of talking, looking at Old Testament prophecy that comes into play, that puts Christ in the manger, that satisfies all these prophecies. Anyway, so jo Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, they end up being moved around to Nazareth and even eventually into Egypt and then back to Galilee so that he could, I'm sorry, Bethlehem, to Egypt and then back to Galilee so that he could be called Jesus of Nazareth. It's important. All those are, are based on some prophecy that's way back there. So Matthew has the story of his birth from a different perspective. He has the story of his birth from the world and the, pers the persecution of the world and the persecution of the devil attempting to assassinate the Messiah before he could save his people from their sins. You know that the, the, this is kind of interesting, I hope it helps you this morning, but Jesus, uh, the attempt on Jesus' life that happens in Matthew, it actually began 
back in Genesis. If you want to go there, you can, or I can read it to you. Genesis 25, 23, it says, two nations are in your womb. He's talking to Isaac's wife, uh, uh, Rebecca, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be a stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Two boys. All right. We, we have some little babies here. The first boy's name is Esau, which means hairy or hairy garment. So this baby's born. He's so hairy that they name him Harry. Okay. And then the other boy is Jacob, and he's this little wimpy wimp. And he's the other one, like the, like the naked mole rat and the big woolly Zach versus little scrawny guy. That's what we got. We got big hairy man, little scrawny man. Jacob, the little scrawny man. The one guy's name means hairy. The other guy means tricky or supplanter. And the reason he was named that is it says that the older will serve the younger. So the tricky supplanter, the little lion weasel, is going to upstage Mr. Harry. He's going to get the blessing that Harry was supposed to get. It's kind of interesting, too. They're both, both of these nations that God is going to use, both of them come from a godly woman. But if we look at that picture um, long term, God has a picture throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. You can make the, the parallel that uh, Esau kind of represents the world or the flesh. And then uh, Jacob represents the, uh, the spiritual life, the saved, the lost versus the saved. Um, so Esau settles in a land later called Edom. And it's a takeoff, the word Edom. Edom and Esau are kind of used interchangeably, as you see um, if you're reading in the Old Testament, especially you get to the book of uh, Obadiah. Obadiah talks about the end of Edom. But when you get there, you'll see that the word Edom means red. So he was red and hairy. I mean, he was probably kind of a, a homely fellow. But he was a woodsman, a hunter, and all that kind of thing. So Edom and Esau, you hear those words, same, think of the same guy. And in time, those of the line of Esau were called Edomites. Um, from early on, the two brothers were in conflict with one another because tricky supplanter guy is always undermining Esau. Esau's dad's favorite, supplanter is uh, mom's favorite. And then both parents are kind of saying, like, here's what you do to play against mom. Here's what you do to play against dad. And ultimately, Jacob gets the blessing. And by God's grace, ultimately, his name is changed from tricky, supplanter, to Israel, one who contends with God. So Jacob gets his name changed, but it ain't that great of a name change. It's, you're going to constantly battle against me. That's what his name means. And that's what exactly what Israel did. After all the centuries, Israel was constantly in conflict with God, always trying to do what they wanted to do, their way, worship idols, and just thwart God's plan, and he was their chosen people. So anyway, so uh, let's see, I already got off track there. So early on, they were in competition with one another. God chooses the line of Jacob. He changes his name to Israel. And um, that's not really the point of the story today. Ultimately, Israel is brought into Egypt. But what happens is Edom is not. During that 400 plus years of enslavement in Egypt, Israel's enslaved, Edom's free as a bird. They're outside. They're brothers now first cousins as we get the offspring of all these, you know. And, um, and during that time of separation, one in captivity, one in freedom, they lose all familial care for one another, particularly Edom. 
So here you have your brother. He's been put into slavery. He comes out. When you're a slave, you come out of slavery. You don't have a lot. They had whatever they got from the Egyptians, of course, but it's a large number of people. And when they come out, the most direct route is through Edom. And Edom's like, don't come through our town. Don't come through here. In fact, and, and they say, well, what if we just will pay you to come through? We won't take anything that we don't buy from you. And they're like, we ain't even selling you food. And to make it worse, down the road, Israel gets, uh, Jerusalem gets uh, besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. This is in the, the, the end of the story. But Israel gets besieged by Nebuchadnezzar because they refuse to continually follow God like they're supposed to. And Edom, instead of siding with their brother Israel, sides with Nebuchadnezzar and takes Israel down, takes Jerusalem down, takes Judea down. That's a pretty, pretty crummy brother. So uh, the book of Obadiah is all about the downfall of Esau and Edom. And it says in there that God's going to completely eliminate them as an ethnicity. Look at Obadiah 10 through 16. Obadiah 10 through 16. You don't read out of that one much, do you? For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were one of them. You were just like them. You went over there and helped them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those from them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near." And as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. And as for you, for as you drank of my holy mountain, so all nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they never had been. God is going to completely, completely eliminate Edom. So I'm telling you all this. You're like, why are we talking about Edom? So I tell you all this to tell you that there was a king in that day. His name was King Herod. And he was a king whose lineage, although most of the Edomites had been killed already, he was from Edom. He was an Idumean, which is the same line as Edom. Um, so you could see where a king who was from Eden, Edom would be upset with one who was born who was going to be king of the Jews. Edom doesn't like the Jews. They've never liked the Jews. All the way back to Esau, they haven't liked Israel. They haven't liked them because Israel's God's chosen people. Edom was hugely blessed. They had great amounts of land. They had very productive land. But they forgot in the having of land who gave them the land. God gave them the land. And this relates very much to where we're at in America. I mean, I don't want to get off on that sidetrack, but think God has provided all these things for us, and what have we done instead is turn our back on God. Just like Edom, and I noticed that in, in Obadiah, that one sentence there, it said, um, For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near, and as you have done, it shall be done to you. You shall drink and swallow, and all nations shall be as though they never had been. All nations except one. When the Bible talks about nations, it's talking about Israel. 
I'm sorry, when the, when the Bible, yeah, when the Bible talks about nations, it's talking about everybody but Israel, the nations. Why do the nations rage? Why do the nations outside of Israel rage against God? But Israel is always God's chosen people. Israel's going to last no matter what happens to the rest of the world. Israel's going to last. It's their chosen people. We as believers in Christ are God's chosen people as well. We don't replace Israel, but he will take care of us even though the nations fail. I hate to think about that because I like America. I mean, I served in the military in America. I was raised in America. I like the production of America. I like the good things of America. But it says there that all nations will be forgotten at some point except for Israel. So I need to attach myself to Israel is what I'm telling you. That aside, Mr. Herod the Great was the last of the line of Esau. He was Herod the Idumean. And you could see where he'd be upset, like I said, about them going against his ethnicity. Um, but it also, you've got to see, is that Satan is working through this line and always has, trying to keep the day from coming when the Messiah would be born. Way back with Esau, when Jacob was running from Esau, Jacob did Esau wrong, but he had to run from Esau because Esau wanted to kill him. From there until this time of Christ, even to today where Christians and Jews are persecuted, even today, Satan wants to see men destroyed before God. He knows that we're God's greatest treasure, and if he wants anything, he wants to see men separated from God. And so he works through Herod to try to stymie the work of God in the bringing of his son to earth to save all mankind. And it looks like I said, it looks like it started way back here. So Herod, in a sense, attacks his distant cousins, his distant cousins, one last time, by sending the edict out to kill all the Hebrew sons under the age of two. Look at Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So from the time the wise men had come um, till whatever era, whatever day this was, he's like, fine, that kid could have been born two years ago, I don't care. But it was no skin off his back to kill as many Hebrew boys to eliminate family lines, that's all, it's all about the lineage of men, to eliminate family lines, um, as he had to, a voice was, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. God is just and sovereign, no doubt. He takes the life of Herod not long after that, and Herod dies by about between 4 and 0 B.C. there. Uh, but this Herod is just replaced by another Herod and another Herod. There's about three or four different Herods all the way up to about A.D. 100, all offspring of this Herod through different wives. And all of these Herods are beholding to Rome, and they all have their foot on the neck of Israel until the, uh, until the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and then it just gets worse. So as we, as we kind of celebrate the, the birth of the Messiah on Christmas, I think it's, we look at the story of his birth a lot of times. We, when I was growing up, one of the few things we did once my, uh, after about fifth grade, that's when things kind of, the wheels kind of fell off the wagon there when I was in fifth grade with my parents. But every Christmas, 
We didn't get a lot of presents, but Dad was pretty diligent about us reading Luke chapter 2. And so we read Luke 2, and then whatever gifts we would get, we would, we would get at that time. And if you read Luke 2, you get kind of this rosy picture of Christ. Uh, this fact that he was, he had to travel, it was hard on Mary, but you know, you go and he's in the manger and the sheep are watching and you got the cows standing on the side and, and you know, those that have handled livestock, I would like to say that that is a very unrealistic picture because I mean, they're, you know how it is with critters, they're all over you stomping and mooing and harassing and you're poking to get them out. I think they were outside and uh, baby was inside, likely in a cave, they're thinking. Um, but But like the but like the story of Moses, which is another picture of Christ, anytime we see a, a hero of the Old Testament, you'll see Christ in that. But like the story of Moses, Moses is saved, but thousands of other Hebrew children are murdered. It's the same picture with Christ. Christ is saved, but all these other Hebrew babies are murdered. It's throughout this entire region. And I don't know how many people lived in the region in that day, but I would say it was thousands of sons you lose a whole generation of sons in one shot there and they're not we don't we don't need to get into how they were murdered but just know they were murdered and that's what i think we need to see is that god sent his son into a world that was a terrible place it wasn't just herod or satan that was against christ from his birth it was the world all those that don't see God, don't see a need for a Savior, don't see a, a need for a Creator, they're going to do it on their own. The entire world was against the birth of Christ, including you, until someone made you aware of your sinfulness and your lostness, and only then did something change. God sent His Son into the world that was a, into a world that was a terrible place. He was born to a lowly people. He was born to a defeated people. If you want to think about a defeated people, think about those people in Afghanistan, the, the few Christians that are there. It's the whole country's been bombed to death. And then you have this small number of Christians that are already persecuted within the Muslim community. So the Muslims are already down on their luck, third world country. And then beneath them are the Christians or that caste system in India where you have these people, you know, the dirt floors and that kind of thing. And the Hindus are persecuting them. They're the lowest of the low, these Jews. And Christ is born to them, and he's born to them in a lowly place, in this manger. It's not, like I said, any of you that's been around any kind of animals, particularly livestock, you know what they produce. They produce a lot of mess, and that's where he's born. <clears throat> um, Israel's under Rome's control. It's very expensive to travel. Taxes are extremely high. They tax them for literally everything. And again, because they're defeated, they have no choice but to pay the tax. You know that thing about carrying it the extra mile? If a Roman man, a Roman uh, soldier's walking by, he's like, hey, Jed, uh, get my pack. You can carry this. You, he could make any citizen, any person of the empire carry his gear for a mile. So he gets to that mile, and then he finds some other poor schlub, and he carries it for the next mile. He carries it for the next mile. That's how under the gun they were. That's the kind of persecution they're under. Um, it was a tough place to be just as an average citizen, which Joseph and Mary were, and it seems as they, they were on the lower income scale there. And within this setting, I noticed that there's a number of people that are still diligently seeking God. Uh, they read it this morning in Luke 1, 39 through 56, uh, Mary and Elizabeth, I'm not sure that we read that prayer, <clears throat> um, 
Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, her first cousin. As it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John was the, the precursor, the messenger, and even in that moment in the womb, he was already filled with the Holy Spirit, already preaching the gospel, so to speak, that the Messiah was coming, and the Messiah had just entered into that room, and Elizabeth knew. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, young woman. Uh, blessed are you among women, sorry, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. And Mary says, and that's called the Magnificent there, the Latin, they call it that, that, that one where Mary talks about how great the Lord is. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary, the mother of Christ, recognized her need for a Savior. And for God to say, I'm putting a Savior inside of you for you to carry was a huge deal. And it didn't provide pride in her, arrogance in her. It provided humility. For he has regarded the lowly state of her maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And it goes on. The point is, is that when Mary and Elizabeth came together, they spoke of godly things. Godly women speak of godly things. It was part of their life already. Zacharias, uh, Simeon, and Anna in Luke uh, 2, 25 through uh, 38. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's the same story there uh, that the kids read. First uh, Simeon, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anna, verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel. She was of great age. This woman was a widow, did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. That's all she did. Zacharias, he was in the temple, in the inner part, putting the incense. That's where you receive the word from the Lord. And he receives, he went in there with fear, approaching the sacred area that the Lord exists in. And the Lord spoke to him. He was a man of God. Before God spoke to him, he was already a man of God. The thing that these people have in common, and by the way, these are all in the same country. They're all being persecuted. They're all under the boot of Rome. They're all not doing that whippy financially. But they're all diligently seeking the Lord. They're looking for him to act. These people are looking for God to act. They're ready for God to act. It's been a long time since positive things have happened for Israel. They've been persecuted for a long time. They've been enslaved for a long time. And I dare say that as Americans, we have, we've been so blessed for so long that we're no longer looking for God to act. When negative things happen, we're like, God, why don't you act? You haven't been looking for him to act. Remember that. They were looking for God to act. From the moment of Adam's sin, God has constantly been setting apart a people for himself, and he never forgets the promises that he makes to people. I was telling them on, on Wednesday night, telling you who are here, 7,000 promises in the Bible to his people. And a lady a while back told me, well, we're not his people and therefore, that Second Corinthians, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and uh, that I will hear them and I'll hear their, heal their land. 
And she goes, that doesn't apply to us. I'm like, are you grafted in? If you're grafted in, you're his people. I'm not saying you have to go do everything that the Old Testament tells you to do as far as, you know, not eating catfish or pork or whatever. Uh, I'm saying that if you're his people, you're his people. If you're called by his name, you're his people. And you need to look for him to act in your lives. And I don't think a lot of times we're looking for God to act in our lives anymore. I'm his people. If you don't want to be his people, that's on you. I want to be his people. I want to be blessed by God. God is setting apart a people for himself, and he doesn't forget those 7,000 promises that you can claim every day. That's just for in time. That's not for in eternity. There's more blessings that come in eternity. Absent from the body is face to face with the Lord. The marriage supper of the Lamb. In my, in my house, there's many mansions, many rooms. If, I, if it was not so, I would have told you. My, I go to prepare a place for you. Those are, those are promises, blessings in the future. But for now... I will never leave thee or forsake thee. For now, today, there's blessings today that are in place for you if you're his people. God wasn't just sitting in his throne room one day up in the heavenlies and he's like, you know what, oh, Herod, I, isn't he from the line of Edom? Hey, I could do my, I could do my thing right now and have Jesus come right now. He, he had this planned out from before Genesis 1-1. <clears throat> he knew that man would sin. He knew that man would need a Messiah and way, 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 way back, he had this plan that Herod, that Idumean, would be in office and that he would kill these other babies, but that Christ would live. That was his plan from before time began, and his plans will not be thwarted by men or by angels or by any created thing. His plan will not be thwarted. He has a plan. And so he, we need to recognize that God has a plan, and we need to place ourselves under his plan so in Luke 2, 8 through 20, God is faithful to reveal his son. I thought this was uh, special. Just like Romans says, he reveals his son to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So in Luke, we see the angels come to the shepherd at the immediate time of Jesus' birth. So it was... Uh, sorry, let me back up here. And now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, to all people. The Jew first, though. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and you will be assigned to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. You know, you read in Revelation, it says, when it talks about, and there was thousands, or myriads and myriads, millions upon millions. This was a tremendous event right here. When it's talking about the total number of angels, myriads and myriads, are praising God in that moment that a baby is born that's going to save man. I like the idea that the Jews have of there's like a kind of a stadium event and the angels are the crowd and we're the players. And uh, one of their ones I've told you before was about the crossing of the Red Sea that when they saw the, the this is their uh, tradition, it's not scripture, they see uh, Moses lead the people of God across the Red Sea and it swallows up the Egyptians it, it, uh, the Jewish tradition said that the angels cheered and God said 
don't cheer because this many people died and he's not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance. They're watching, they're observing, and he's like, I'm bringing the Messiah right now. <laughs> they're cheering. The Messiah has come. It's an impressive thing. Let's see. So to the Jew first, so he came to the shepherd. And then look at Matthew 2, uh, 1 through 12, and then to the Gentile. You know, even Herod heard the gospel. He heard it from the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. And Herod the king heard this. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and he had gathered all the chief priests. Is this going to be an uprising? This Jewish king is going to have an uprising, and he's going to take over, and Rome will no longer be the, the empire that it was? But, uh, of course, Herod's got another scheme in there just because of what his bloodline is. And they said to him, you know, where is he born? They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod comes up with a scheme and so on. But the fact of the matter is, God came to the Jew first. And those that would not receive him, because of that, he goes to the Gentile. The Magi were those that were influenced by that group that came um, in the time of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, that group that came and they talked about all these scriptures, these Old Testament scriptures that they had memorized, and they told these, these different um, uh, great thinkers and philosophers, they had told them these things, and these people knew about it, and they're like, I'm going to go see it in person. Now's the time. Got to be. Special star over here. We're going. They knew it was coming. They knew the scriptures. Gentiles were saved by the birth of Christ. That's a good thing. Um, by the way, um, you know, whenever we see it, we always see the little crash, they call it, you know, and you got baby Jesus and the sheep and the camels. Nobody said there was camels there, but maybe there was. Anyway, all these critters are here, right? And then you got the shepherds, and then you got the wise men over here with their gifts. Likely the wise men came as much as two years later. So, so they weren't there on the night of his birth like the shepherds were. This was down the road. He could have been a few months or maybe a couple years old when they came and, and brought these gifts. And the point is, is that even in that, the Jews had the opportunity first to taste and see that the Lord is good, to handle, to see the Messiah, to have contact with the Messiah like Simeon and Anna and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. He came to the Jew first. Jesus is a Jew. He's of the Jewish line. God used a Jewish body, a Jewish human body, to give the gospel to the nations. We don't reject him because he's Jewish. We receive him because he's God. Then Herod, when he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children. In the day of Jesus' birth, there was this vicious uproar and... Uh, uh, and it was on the earth, and it was in the supernatural. It was from the evil one. It was probably the most supernatural events all going on at one time besides the creation of the world. And it's all happening at once. It's a supernatural battle, and we're these little players within it. And in that moment, Herod executes his wrath on innocent children throughout the kingdom, doing anything to crush the king that might 
you know, end his reign. And we look at that today, and uh, evil men and evil influence and the influence of the devil still exist today. And it's becoming more and more common, even in our country, as much as I hate to see it, um, where they're going to come after Christians. They're going to close churches. They're already, the, the wheels are already in motion. There was an article put out, um, I don't know, Dave was telling me about it, or, or was it, were you telling me about that? About um, uh, how, how much at fault Christians are for the spread of COVID because they refuse not to meet with one another. They're going to do whatever they can. The world and the devil is going to do whatever they can to turn people away from God. They're going to persecute you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. When they revile and persecute you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. They're going to persecute you. But we got the Messiah. Two groups of people will be saved by his birth if they accept his authority and the sacrifice that he made for themselves. It's not uncommon now for Christians to be mocked in our country or to eliminate gatherings of Christians. Heck, they want people that aren't even Christians. They just want to celebrate the holiday together. They want them not to meet. But there's something about the birth of Christ that people come together and celebrate, even unbelievers. Even Herod had to do something at the birth of Christ. It was big. We judge time by the birth of Christ, think about how big of a situation that is. They've tried to change that, you know, now they call it uh, before the common era or after the common era. Listen, I don't care. The common era began when something uncommon happened. Christ came to earth in the form of a baby, and he lived a sinless life, and he died an innocent death, and he was judged for the sins of all mankind that we could live. Satan missed his only chance to eliminate the Holy One at his birth. He missed his chance. He played his cards. You know, you guys are card-playing guys. Dave told me he's a professional. Just so you know, don't play cards with Dave. I just want you to know. I'm just giving you a warning as one Christian brother to another. He's supposedly Mr. Poker Face. You could probably see that on him. He played all his cards. He had the royal flush, and the king of the universe is like, not today, buddy. And he hides him, and he produces him, and he raises him, and he grows, and he becomes who he is. So now Satan's goal has to change because the Messiah has already come. His goal now is to keep as many people as possible from finding the Messiah before they die. And I've told you this before, and I, I remind you again, I'm not trying to be ugly. But the Bible does not command us to celebrate Christ's birth. It doesn't tell, tell us to celebrate his resurrection. It tells us to celebrate his death. Because through his death at Passover... It gives us the opportunity to be saved from our sins. He had to live this sinless life. Um, uh, and the beginning was right there in the, in the manger. I thought about something on that. The Bible says in Matthew one twenty one, his name shall be Yeshua. The word Yeshua is closer to Joshua if you were going to transliterate it, but they use Jesus. That's the Greek. Uh, it means the Lord is Savior. And it says what his name means. His name shall be Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what it means. The name shall be Yeshua, Savior. The Lord is Savior. Before he was even bigger than a minute, as they say, he had in him all that was necessary for him to save the world. If he had to, he could have rose up right then and, and done what he did. He was already the innocent lamb. He was already born of a virgin. If somehow 
Herod had killed him in the manger, he still would have possessed everything that it took to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He was the innocent lamb, but he was already born. And just as messengers, Dave did a great job last week, uh, I don't know if you know that or not, about, about talking about the two friends bringing someone to Christ. But just as messengers went before Christ's birth, all the prophets, all the priests, all the feasts that had pointed to his birth, life, and death, all those things, all those messengers had come before, just like those happened, uh, we need to continue to use that, the celebration of his birth that goes on every year. We need to use that as an opportunity to say, it's not just about his birth. Use it as the stepping stone. People will hear the gospel right now more than any other time of year because Christian, Christmas is a fun holiday to celebrate. You get to buy presents. You get to get presents. But it's an opportunity that I think we squander sometimes in not using it to, as a stepping stone to tell people that Yeshua has come to save his people from his sins. All people, not just Jewish people, not just Gentile people. All men are born dead in their trespasses and sins, and without a Savior, we're hopeless, and we're completely helpless. So we need to use his birth to herald his, to herald his having come from, for any who would hear. So when we go out, and we're talking to people, and we're giving them the Merry Christmas, Maybe put a little thought into it. Don't just let it be a byword or something fun that you say during the holidays. But make sure you put something with it like, you know, that wasn't the end, right? You know, he went to the cross to save his people from their sins. You know, his name means uh, the Lord is Savior. Man, just add a little peace and help them to think that without Christ's coming, there could be no hope for man. The devil has one desire, and that's to destroy mankind, and God has one desire, and that's that all men would be reconciled to the Father. So let's use this holiday this year to reconcile men to the Father. And I pray this morning that this, this service was a pleasant reminder. It was enjoyable to see the kids singing. Um, it was a joy to see that. It was good to see the girls reading the Bible. Young fellers, come on. Let's get reading the Bible. Let's be bold enough to stand in front of people and proclaim the word. Um, young people, take your opportunity when you go back to school. We're in a tough time. We're going into a tougher time, I fear. Use this opportunity. Use every opportunity to preach the gospel to the lost. Um, if our grandparents had done the same, we'd be in a different situation right now. But um, God's plans will not be stymied. They will not be stopped by men. God is sovereign, and he's going to do his work through us. So this year, let's celebrate the holiday in the, in the, with the proper mindset. As we give gifts to one another, let's remember the greatest gift ever given to us, and that's the, the babe in the manger, but better, the Christ on the cross. I want to pray, and then I have a little word for you. Father, this morning we are so grateful for the gift that was given so long ago, 2,000 years ago, plus or minus. We're so grateful for your your plan that you had. We, we were lost. We didn't even know we were lost. We needed a Savior. We didn't even know we needed one. But you provided one, and you provided one in a greater way than we can understand. We can't understand how you created the universe. We can't grasp the length of the cosmos or the size or the distance of the stars, but we know that you created it all. You told us you did, 
And you told us that we wouldn't be able to understand it. We can't even understand all there is to, to know about you. But we do know that we're lost without Christ and that we can't save ourselves. Father, I pray for those that are here, Lord, that, that may be considering themselves a good person, but they're without you, Lord. I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them and that you would touch them, touch their spirit, Lord, convict them in their hearts uh, for what they are. Remind us, Lord, of your goodness to us over and over as we read your word, Lord. I pray for conviction of spirit to read the word daily here in this body. I thank you for these that have come, Lord. I thank you for this place. I thank you for the, the heat that we have in here. I thank you for the nice soft chairs. I thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I pray that your lampstand would never be removed from this church and that your Holy Spirit, your anointing oil, would always keep it filled and that the word that's spoken from the pulpit would always be from your word and be your message for us for this day. I thank you again, Lord, for all your goodness to us. I thank you for the food that was provided today. We didn't even have to buy the food today. It was provided for us. Another blessing, Lord. Father, we give you all the glory and honor and praise, the King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign, most high God, immutable, unchangeable, omnipotent, everlasting to everlasting, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So uh, I did want to thank the body for your uh, generous gift last week, and I'm just saying it all. I didn't ask Jed or Dave to say anything, but... but um, that was, a, that was a great blessing to us to, to receive that. We didn't expect that, and that was nice. And um, I pray that we serve you well here as we, as we preach the gospel. We do study hard and try to, to, to glean what it is that God has from us, from his word, for us, from his word. And um, I appreciate that you guys recognize that, and I thank you for it. And I just wanted to, if I'm not sending each one of you an email, there's a lot of you jokers. <laughs> and, uh, but we do, we appreciate it greatly. It's been a great blessing to all of us, I'm sure. So we thank you for that, and I uh, thank you for coming last week and, and honoring Dave in that and his family. That was, a, that was a real blessing, too. So God bless you all, and uh, I hope to see you guys tonight. Hope to see you again on Wednesday. And um, we got a little gift for the kids, but I guess we'll have to wait till after lunch. So if you got little kids, eat your lunch first. Where's Myla at? She, you know, she's running free. Make Myla eat first before we give you your presents. God bless you all this day. If you'd like to pray about anything, I want to take the time to wait for you. I'll wait right here. If you don't know the Messiah, if you're going through life, you're just doing your thing, and you think it's all going to work out okay in the end, let me tell you, things are fixing to get real right here. Things are changing in our country. They're not just changing our country. They're changing worldwide. And you need to know that you know that you know that God has come, that he sent a Savior, that he came to die for you. And if you don't know that, you're not assured of that. Today can be the day of your salvation. So don't leave without that. Don't wait till other things occupy your mind and the world sneaks in there and confuses you. Use today to seek the Lord while he may still be found, okay? All right, God bless you all. Let's have a day of celebration together, all right? Enjoy. Come and pray.